Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. Well, friends, we have been making our way through the book of Joshua. And two weeks ago, we read the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. All right, it's an absolute classic. The Israelites' first battle in the promised land, the priests and the people, they team up. They literally walk circles around Jericho, and by the sounds of their trumpet and their war cries, the walls came tumbling down. We had some fun with the story. And we walked away with with a reminder, a reminder to not get caught up in the game of self-reliance, to not put all of our hope and our trust in our own strength and our abilities, but to seek out the still small voice of God when, when making plans, when preparing for the next thing, when pursuing the good life, right, that we all so desire. However, As I forewarned you, two weeks ago, I intentionally left a bunch of verses out. I read the PG version, all right, the Sunday school version. You see, once the walls came tumbling down, there were no attempts at diplomacy. The promised land wasn't handed to the Israelites on a silver platter. It was taken by force through war. And so while intentionally withheld the the violent realities of of Israel's conquest of the Canaan Valley, I promised that we'd go there this week. And go there we shall. We'll read the unread verses. We'll consider the problem of, of violence in the Bible. The problem of ethnic favoritism, divine retribution, disputed claims of land. We're gonna open that can of worms, but truthfully, we're likely not going to resolve it by the end. Now, this is your first Sunday with us, or you're just here to celebrate one of our youngsters in their first communion. You picked a good week, so hang in there with us. What I can tell you is that we read the Bible on Sunday mornings, and we're committed to reading all of it. Not just the easy and uplifting parts, the parts that are, are nice to quote in social media, We read that stuff too. However, when we bump up to something problematic, we choose not to avoid it. And one of the reasons we choose not to avoid it is because our lives, our world, it's filled with problematic stuff as well. As we all know far too well, our world is still consumed with violence, ethnic and racial tension, religious conflict and claims to land. How relevant is this topic this week? And so we read it because we're in these stories. Our world is in these stories. And by reading them, maybe, just maybe, we'll bump into the God who is, who is in it all with us. And so uh, now I'm not, I'm not going to read the entire chapter again. But here, here once again, excerpts from Joshua and the Battle of Jericho as recorded in Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was closed up tightly because of the Israelites. No one went out or came in. The Lord said to Joshua, look, 
I've given Jericho and its king into your power along with its mighty warriors. Circle the city with your soldiers. Going around the city one time, do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven trumpets made from ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Covenant. On the seventh day, circle the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Have them blow a long blast on the ram's horn. As soon as you hear the trumpet blast, have all the people shout out a loud war cry. Then the city wall will collapse and the people will rise up attacking straight ahead. We continue. On the seventh day, they got up at dawn. They circled the city in this way seven times. It was only on that day that they circled the city seven times. The seventh time, the priest blew the trumpet. Then Joshua said to the people, shout, because the Lord has given you the city. The city and everything in it is to be utterly wiped out as something reserved for the Lord. Then the people shouted. They blew the trumpets. As soon as the people heard the trumpet blast, they shouted a loud war cry. Then the walls collapsed. The people went up against the city, attacking straight ahead. They captured the city. Without mercy, they wiped out everything in the city as something reserved for God. Every man and woman, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. At that time, Joshua made this decree. Anyone who starts to rebuild this city of Jericho will be cursed before the Lord. Laying its foundation will cost them their oldest child. Setting up its gates will cost them their youngest child. The Lord was with Joshua. News about him spread throughout the land. Now I typically complete my readings of scripture with the phrase, the word of God for the people of God. And then I invite you to say, thanks be to God. But it seems a little out of place, doesn't it? Right? We, we all knew the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho, or at least many of us did. We knew that the walls came a-tumbling down, but completely wiping out everything? It's too much, isn't it? And, and the Hebrew, the original Hebrew words, aren't any softer, right? It's been translated as they exterminated everything or they slayed everything. Why do we teach this story to our kids? How did this become one of the classics? Where we can, we can wrap our minds around the walls tumbling down, but did they really have to kill everyone? Everyone, everyone? Women and children, the elderly, livestock even? Right, what on earth, God? Is that really the kind of entrance you want to be making into this new land? Is that really the sort of stories you want people telling about you? What happened to the God who freed slaves? What happened to the God of love and justice? Where'd that God go? And why are we left with this story of, of mass murder and territorial conquest? What's going on here? So there's, there's a lot to think about, and I've only got you for another 15 minutes or so. So what I propose to do is look at a couple 
classic ways to handle this text and some of the darker stories like them. I can't promise resolution, but I can assure you that you, we, I, are not the first people to ask some critical questions at these darker stories. So I'm going to give you a slightly simplified uh, approaches, three of them. And I want to finish after them by telling you a little bit about how I choose to read the Bible. So not using their technical hermeneutical terms, the three approaches can be summed up like this. One, the of course God killed them all approach. Then we have the there is no way that story's true approach. And then finally, the God needs anger management classes approach. Okay, so let's start with the first. The of course God killed them all approach. One way that people have navigated stories of divinely sanctioned murder and violence in the Bible is by pointing to God as ultimate judge of humanity. And it's a pretty simple approach. God was justified in having every living thing in Jericho killed because every living thing in Jericho was evil. It wasn't genocide, it was judgment. Righteous indignation, a holy cleansing of the land. All right, this approach essentially claims that, that God is so opposed to violent and oppressive people and nations like the Egyptians or the Canaanites that God would stop at nothing to rid the world of them, even if it takes violence and oppression to get the job done. And truthfully, that, that's a hard pill to swallow. Right? That isn't the sort of God that, that most of us are looking to attach ourselves to. At the same time, it's only fair to name that, that language of, of God as judge and divine punisher. It's in the Bible. Right? There are prophetic books filled with chapter after chapter a violent judgment against other nations, against Israel themselves. It's definitely in there. It just seems to be in conflict with other images of God that are also in there. Right, because the Bible also says, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Right? Or, or love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Or we, we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. It's in there too. So how do we handle these opposing images of God and the, the seemingly inconsistent characterization of God throughout the Bible? Or in other words, if you're not a fan of the, of course God killed them approach, what other options do you have? You could try out the, there is no way that is true approach. You see, to protect God's unchanging character, some simply propose that such stories are not true. Or, more specifically, that such stories don't accurately portray God's desires. 
In other words, Joshua and the Israelites made assumptions about God's desire to wipe out everyone, when in fact that was not God's plan. And on a surface level, we we sort of get that one, right? Because it seems like humans have have always made projections of, of who God is and how God operates based on who they want God to be and how they want God to operate. There's no way this is true approach. It's a decent way to keep one's image of God intact. But it's hard because you just end up blaming the inconsistent characterizations on humans. But there are still other approaches. If you aren't comfortable with, with human errors in the Bible or humans taking all the blame, you could try the God needs anger management classes approach. And I know it may sound silly, or maybe even more so, it might sound heretical. But hear me out on this one. Walter Brueggemann, a a rock star in the Old Testament world scholarship and an ordained UCC minister, he's referred to God as a recovering practitioner of violence. Hear that again. God as a recovering practitioner of violence. That's quite the thing to say about God. That God might have altered God's approach over time. Right? It's grown and progressed from ethnic favoritism and war into a, a universal movement of love and acceptance. This approach, it sure does leave the biblical narrative intact, but it, it introduces the idea that, that even God might have had some lessons to learn over the years. And a God who changes, a God who has to grow, might seem small to you. But if you think back to some of the other stories we've read together in the first five books of the Bible, Right, there are several times we observe both Abraham and Moses right, talking with God, convincing God to change God's mind, talking God off a ledge when God was ready to wipe out everyone. Now, you've really got to let this one sit in for a while because it, it messes. It messes with some traditional assumptions around God, doesn't it? So your head's spinning a little bit with the different options. You've got the, of course, God killed them all. You've got the, that can't possibly be true. And then kind of the curveball option, man, God needs some anger management classes. Hopefully you can take some solace in knowing that there have been a lot of really smart people who have tried to deal with these opposing characterizations of God in the Bible. Right, a God who is both ultimately loving and a God who every so often takes out an entire nation. And truthfully, none of these approaches leave me feeling completely satisfied. So what do I do with it all? How do I try to juggle these opposing images of of a loving God? I think for me, the bigger question is about the Bible what the Bible is, and and how does the Bible go about making meaning in our life? 
You've heard me use this term before. I like to think about the Bible as progressive revelation. And that's a technical term, so if you wanted to, to Google it and read more into it, you can. The progressive revelation of Scripture. You see, I like to think that the Bible reveals to us the character of God, and it does so progressively. Come on in. It does so progressively in the sense that no single story, chapter, or verse contains all of it. If the Bible ended here with the battle of Jericho, we'd have a problem, right? If, if this is where the story ended, we'd be in trouble. But it's not. The story continues, progresses, develops. Who knows, maybe by the 200th anniversary, we will have finished reading the whole thing together. We'll try. But we know that people have always had this proclivity to, to, to think they're the special ones, the chosen ones, the promised ones. Not just Israel and these Old Testament stories, but the early church, right? The Jesus movement, too. Follow me. I know I'm doing a bunch of different things, but follow me on this tangent as I try to demonstrate the progressive nature of the Bible and even its own internal ideologies. Take the early church, the first generation Christians as recorded in the book of Acts. Up until Acts chapter 10, Peter teaches and believes that the message of Jesus is only for the Jews. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 10, when talking to, to Cornelius, a Gentile, a non-Jewish citizen, Peter says, you're well aware that it's against our laws for Jews to even associate with or visit Gentiles. Right? Yikes. It's a little ethnocentric, a little exclusive. And yet, thanks to a dream, by the end of the very same chapter, Peter admits he was wrong that the Jewish law didn't have the whole picture, that the Bible up until that point didn't entire contain the entire picture of God's love. And Peter goes on to say, quote, God has shown me, revealed to me, that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Then he says, now I realize. That's a it's quite a thing. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation. That's Acts 10, 34. He says, but now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation. Up until that point, Peter didn't realize that his previous way of thinking, a.k.a. The, what he was taught from the Bible, was not the full truth of God's character and love. In the course of a single chapter, thanks to the Spirit, Peter grew. Peter's love progressed. How exciting is that? How exciting is it that we as humans are invited to grow, are invited to admit that we don't know it all, 
are invited to dance with the still speaking God, are invited to hold our beliefs close, but not so close that we choke the life out of them. Our faith isn't destroyed by inconsistent or seemingly inconsistent characterizations of God because we know that the story continues. We know the stories of Jesus breaking down barriers. We know the stories of of Jesus showering love on the least likely of people, welcoming everyone to his table. We know that God is a God of love and has pushed and inspired every church of every age to do better, to love better. After 185 years of trying, we still have a thing or two to learn. We still have blind spots that keep us from fully worshiping, fully welcoming, fully engaging in justice, but we're getting better at it. And and our hope is that the next generation might push us to do more, to be more, to progress. And so Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, should we read it or should we cancel it? I think we should read it. I think we should read all of it as long as we plan on reading the rest of the story. As long as we plan on allowing the spirit to do a new thing in and among us, as long as we plan on listening for the still speaking God because we now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts everyone, everyone, everyone. Amen.